Um, so as Scott said, we're reading from Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 to 9, and that's on page 832 in your Red Pew Bibles. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the Lord of, sorry, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we share together now. We thank you that we can spend time thinking about your word and we pray that you'd help us to respond to it uh, the right way, with the right attitude. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. How's the sound? Sound with this microphone, everything's good to go? Good. Well, I wonder if you've noticed here, thoughts about the future uh, can impact on our lives within the present. We've all seen the impact of speed cameras on the way people drive their cars. As soon as we see other cars coming towards us and they, they start to flash their headlights at us, which we know is illegal for them to do anyway, uh, we know that it's probably a sign that there's a speed camera coming up. Likewise, if we're driving along, we see on the side of the road that there is a sign that says speed camera ahead. Uh, that impacts on what drivers do, doesn't it? In that case, the driver checks his speed, makes sure they're going the right, right pace, so that they can avoid a possible fine for driving too fast. That kind of illustrates the principle that our thoughts about what's coming up, our thoughts about the future, can impact on the present and what we do right now. Now that um, idea is also illustrated by a, a story which I thought you'd probably enjoy hearing. I heard about a policeman uh, at the time when speed cameras were first developed, uh, and he found it hard to get his hands on one of these particular speed cameras. They were in short supply at his um, particular police station. But he found that if he sat by the side of the road with his wife's new high-tech hairdryer <laughs> aimed at the traffic, it still had the same effect of uh, slowing the traffic down. Well, if people can see what's coming, or even what they think is coming, it can impact on their lives right now. We see something of that in today's passage as well, uh, without the hairdryers. Uh, Paul wants to take this a, a step further. Though. He's saying that he's been writing already about the future of the church, and he wants that future to impact on their lives in the present. And so the context for this passage today is that Christians are already citizens of heaven. That's what he's just written about in chapter 3, verse 20, that uh, Christians are first and foremost not citizens of Rome or Australia, but citizens of heaven. And yet, 
we're not there yet, folks, is the, is the other idea, isn't it? Uh, we remain here in an outpost of heaven on earth. And Paul wants that heavenly future to impact their present lives now. And so he takes his pen, it's probably a bit different to what we use, and he puts down some wisdom uh, on life now until God's kingdom comes. And according to Paul, now is the time to have a couple of things. And the first one is a common mind. You'll see that in your outline. My first point is he wants us to have a common mind. We see that in uh, verse 2 and 3. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Sintiki to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, to help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't know a great deal about uh, the trouble between Euodia and Syntyche. Paul doesn't exactly deal with their issues in the same way that he deals with other issues more strongly in the Bible, such as sexual immorality or issues of false teaching. This, these sort of things don't seem to come up with Euodia and Syntyche. It seems that the problem is they're just finding it hard to get along with each other. And worse for them, I guess th their names have gone down in history too, as two people have, you know, it's one thing to fall out with someone, but how much of Christendom's found out about it now? Anyway, what's surprising is that they're not fringe dwellers of the church. They're not just at the margins of those who've just been fly-by-nighters. Uh, they've been people who've been deeply involved in the gospel ministry, contending with Paul. Uh, they've, they've been hard at it with Paul proclaiming the gospel. And so, what does he do? Well, he begins by pleading with them. He doesn't exercise an apostolic authority and, and make a ruling, but he, he pleads for them to agree with each other in the Lord. And this is the idea that they are to have a, a common mind. Uh, this idea that they agree with each other in the Lord is the same word that got translated earlier in chapter 2, verse 2, is being like-minded. I'll read that to you, verse 2, verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Now, he's not saying that they've got to agree on everything, but he is making the case for them to have a common mind on the things of God uh, and to agree with one another in the Lord. That's the key. And it's consistent again with what he's written earlier in chapter 1, verse 27, about standing firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Their unity is to be something that is in the gospel. They had to make sure that other issues didn't stifle that unity that they had and snuff it out. They, made, they needed to make sure their unity was in the Lord. Now, as Christians, there are some things uh, which we must maintain. Uh, things which are not negotiable. We've got to keep things, uh, certain things central. We can't disagree over. Uh, such things as the fact that salvation from sin is found in Christ alone. That salvation is by God's grace alone and that it is to be received through trust. Trusting Jesus alone is the only way to lay hold of it. And all these good things about salvation we know from God's word alone. And furthermore, this whole gospel message and the fact that we know about it is to God's glory alone. Now, these kinds of things are 
are areas that we must maintain as central. Uh, we can't be divided on those aspects of the Christian message and uh, the news about salvation. And we can't let other side issues snuff those central things out. Paul also wants to deal with this problem that they've got, though, in a practical way. And so one of the ways that he sets about uh, to sort this difficulty out between the ladies is to ask somebody to get involved. We see that where he says, Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, to help these women. Now, who is this loyal yoke fellow? Well, some have wondered whether that's even his name, Mr. Yokefellow, Mr. Yokefellow by name and by nature. Uh, it's hard to know. It could be Epaphroditus. Um, it's probably the person who's taking the letter back. Either way, Paul thinks it's important that if there's instability be between two people, a third party could be helpful to resolve the situation. Now, we can take something away from this as well too, can't we? Uh, sometimes relationships be between two people do get unstable and difficult. And in such circumstances where uh, there's too much friction between them, it can be useful if there's somebody who's less emotionally involved in that situation, uh, could come into the situation to help people resolve a dispute. The challenging thing is to work out how to be someone who's quite emotionally separate to the situation to be, to be helpful. If, if somebody's uh, pulled in on one side, they might make, the, make matters worse. And so a great deal of wisdom is needed to work out how one's going to fit into the broader uh, conflict as to whether they can actually be helpful in bringing two parties together. And just for the record, uh, I actually do a bit of this kind of thing as a school chaplain. Uh, usually it's not with adults, it's usually with um, year six boys who've been punching each other and they've, they've both been a bit upset um, and uh, we need to try to get both sides of the story and just tune in and, and it can have the effect of bouncing them back together. Well, I don't think that was uh, Euodia and Sintiki's problem, um, but you can see that Paul's trying to do what he can to help them get united once again. Either way, however they're issue was resolved. The message remains the same, that now is the time for us to maintain a common unity, a common mind in the Lord. Now Paul continues with his wisdom for life now, until God's kingdom comes, and he reminds us that now is the time for rejoicing in the Lord. We'll pick that up in verse 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Now, Paul has had this theme of joy throughout the letter. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 4, where he prays with joy as he thinks about the Philippians. In chapter 2, verse 17, he talks about rejoicing if he's being poured out uh, as an offering on a sacrifice and he wants them to rejoice with him. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Rejoice in the Lord, and here he says, uh, rejoice, and he says it again, it's quite emphatic. When we think of rejoicing, uh, we often have the idea internally of uh, joy welling up within us, making us happy from within. Uh, and yet in Paul's time, it does include that, but it also extends the idea of rejoicing to being something of a public celebration. 
uh, in the Roman times, people rejoiced in their festivals and games and their shows uh, to celebrate their gods and their cities. And they also rejoiced in their, their new god, who was their god, Caesar. But Paul's saying, well, it's actually appropriate for Christians to celebrate the fact that Jesus is Lord. And as we do so, we also encourage each other in our love for him and our obedience to him as well. But rejoicing in the Lord is not to say that life is all fantastic in life all the time. It's interesting to note that as Paul talks about rejoicing in the Lord, he's doing so from prison. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, we find out that Paul and Silas are in prison and whilst they're there, they're praying to the Lord and they're singing hymns. They're still rejoicing in the Lord even in those circumstances until an earthquake comes and they're ready to get out. They can be joyful even above their circumstances because they're very confident in the Lord God. And I think there's a message here for us too that even uh, in our difficult circumstances, we can rise above those and still find some joy in the Lord. For the fact is, um, there are a lot of things that we can be joyful about. If you think about it, our sins have been forgiven and we no longer need to feel the weight of guilt for those sins. We've been given the gift of God's Spirit within as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance with the Lord at the end. We have the status of being called the children of God and we enjoy the fact that we have uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Our years on earth might be complicated, there might be all manner of sorrow and grief and difficulties, but we still have an eternity secured for us by the Lord Jesus that is going to be a wonderful one. And so there are many things that we can be glad about as Christians. Even at times when we might weep and be overwhelmed with sorrow, Paul calls us to find our joy in the Lord and to rejoice in Him. He also attaches to this the idea of being gentle in the knowledge that the Lord is near. Perhaps he's saying if we, if we know these good things, maybe that can spill over into our lives where we're folk who rejoice in the Lord and we're characterised by being content and gentle, not necessarily those who are harsh and aggressive because we know that God's in control of all things and Jesus will be with us soon. Well, in sum, in this section, in our life now until God's kingdom comes, Paul reminds us that now is the time for rejoicing in the Lord. And it's also the time to be uh, not to be worrying, but to be praying. We'll see that in verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the force of this verse is to replace worry with prayer. It's not as though Paul didn't think that people in his time didn't have worries. They did then. And of course, um, we have worries now. And some people argue that we've got more worries now because we, we get acquainted with the mass media that fills us in on all the problems in the world. Whereas they, they might not have known too much about what was happening in their worlds. They just had their own worries to deal with. But there are worries which can add up for us. Changes in the economy might mean that it, it could be complicated getting a permanent job 
or if there's a recession, it might be hard to get a job at all. Some people have car troubles or have to pay for their cars. There can be conflict at work or in your neighbourhood. Students face impending exams. Home life could be very difficult. There can be financial insecurity and struggles over different health problems. And then there's grief at those who we lose uh, loved ones who die. Add to that, there's many troubles throughout the world where we read about news of terrorism, places like Pakistan, Kenya, Iraq, and the list goes on. There's plenty of things that people can worry about. And the spirit of what Paul's saying is not so much this idea we just sing the song, don't worry, be happy, in a mindless fashion. The key is that we bring our worries to God in prayer. That's what God wants us to do. We can pray about the serious things of life and also even the more mundane things. And the reason is because we know that God cares for us. Even Jesus talks to us about this when he says, you know, which of your children, if they come to you and ask for a fish, which parent's going to give them a snake? Well, no parent's going to do that. And his point is that God is so much better than sinful parents, he knows how to care for us. And he wants us to come to him in prayer. But when was the last time that you listed your troubles and spent time, extended period of time, in prayer over those things? When was the last time that you uh, recounted all your worries and spent time praying? Well, even though the Bible describes prayer as a wrestle, it's still the pathway that God calls us to. Not to worry so much, but to come to Him in prayer. And we're given the news that there is a peace from God which does transcend understanding when we do this. And uh, those of us who have, who have done this and come to God in prayer, we know what that means. We, we hand things over to God and we trust Him with our lives. So the challenge here is uh, to remember not to be anxious, but to bring everything to God in prayer. And that's the way we've been called to live in the time before our citizenship in heaven is a reality. Paul also wants us to be those in this time who dwell on the good things. And we see that in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In this verse, Paul's dealing with the idea of garbage in, garbage out. Uh, Because the fact is we're all affected by the things that we're exposed to. Those people who spend millions of dollars each year on marketing know that when we think toothpaste, we think Colgate. You know, they're putting their marketing dollars into things so that we're, when we're exposed to them, they have an impact on us. Now, this can be a good thing uh, if we dwell on the good things of God's world, but we know that some things can be also rotten for our minds and our souls, and some scenes we just don't need in our minds or repeated over and again. In fact, as I thought about this verse, I wondered about uh, whether we could actually find too many DVDs in the DVD store which would pass the test of verse 8. 
I thought that perhaps a few episodes of Lassie, or maybe Free Willy would come to mind, something like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They could probably get over the line of this, uh, this verse. I'd have to ask David about that last one. Um, but it is tricky to find even DVDs that would fit the bill of, of verse 8. Uh, even just looking at the covers in the DVD store uh, can be tempting enough. Yet on the upside, I suppose I'm one of the lucky ones. Because I like watching soccer. And so the section that says, you know, dwelling on things that are noble, lovely, admirable, things that are excellent and praiseworthy, I think these things seem to dovetail pretty nicely with the A-League and the Premier, English Premier League. There's the uh, Asian Champions League and the World Cup. Uh, but while soccer is, is a noble thing to dwell on, there are better things, <laughs> I have to concede. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans, Romans chapter 12, I've got to contain myself here, uh, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I don't think he had the Champions League in mind, but I think he was talking about wanting uh, the Christians to keep reading from God's Word. And a good way to do this is to read not just God's Word, but also to read Christian books, because Christian books, uh, the precedent is, we need to help understand God's Word. And sometimes uh, people are skilled in putting that together and we can read what God's Word teaches. So reading the Bible is a good thing to do, a good thing for us to dwell on, and also reading Christian books is a good thing to do too. Well, I wonder what changes you and I could make when it comes to books, movies, or other media that we might consume uh, so that we can hit that target of Philippians 4, verse 8, of dwelling on good things of God's world. Not the rotten things that are a perversion of God's plans and will for his people. So now's the time to be dwelling on the good things. Finally, now is the time to be putting into practice Paul's example as well. We'll see that in verse 9. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, one of the intriguing things about this verse is probably maybe how hard it might have been for Paul to write. I mean, can you imagine saying anything like that to the people that you know or your family? What have you learned or received from me or heard from me or seen in me or put that into practice? Could you say that the way to be a Christian is to do exactly what I've done? Could you say that to anybody? Well, it's a very big call, isn't it? Perhaps Paul wants us to link it, though, back to verse 8, where we're to get rid of the garbage and put our minds to good things. And, and his is a good model of Christian maturity. So he wants us to learn from him as he follows Christ Jesus our Lord. So now is the time when we can continue to learn about Christian maturity from the Apostle Paul. Well, in conclusion, although we are citizens of heaven, we're not there yet. But Paul wants that heavenly future to impact on our present life now, just as the policeman's hairdryer impacted on the traffic coming his way. Now is the time for us to have a common mind in the Lord. We don't need to agree on every, everything, uh, we, but we must maintain our unity in the gospel and not let that get snuffed out by peripheral issues.
Now is the time to be rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, we can rejoice in the Lord even in circumstances where we face difficulties, just as Paul did in prison, because God cares for us and we can find our peace in Him. Now is the time for us not to be those who spend all our time worrying, but certainly to uh, bring our worries to the Lord, to be those who are praying. And hopefully this week, this will be a challenge for you and I to be more prayerful people, to set about uh, putting some time aside to come to the Lord in prayer. And this is also the time to be dwelling on good things. There's only so many good things worth, um, well, there's only so many things worth putting into our minds. We should be putting the good things in. Even soccer has limited value. So let's uh, continue to be reading God's Word and Christian books. And we can benefit from those things. And now is the time to continue to learn from uh, Paul's life about Christian maturity as he follows our Lord Jesus. Well, let us come and close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we do um, pray that you would help us to live our, our calling to be your people here on earth uh, in a good way. Lord, we thank you that um, as we wait for your kingdom to finally come, uh, we've been given some wisdom from Paul this morning on how we should live well as your people. And Lord, we do pray for your help in that. We pray that you'd help us to take time out to think carefully about our lives and how uh, we should actually be concerned to live your way since we are citizens of heaven. Lord, we do thank you for this time we share together now and the time that we'll have to encourage each other over morning tea. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.